Glad you're here uh, to worship with us this morning. And uh, we're in a series that we've been in for multiple weeks now in the book of Galatians as Paul writes to this church, which is located in modern day Turkey now. And um, Paul is writing to uh, address some issues that the folks in Galatia were being approached about that was a false gospel, or I'll use this term over and over again this morning, gospel plus. They're being faced with a teaching from a group of people called the Judaizers that were gospel plus. Really what was happening is you had um, a group of people that were teaching you must become Jewish first before you can become a Christian. And that meant you had to uh, fulfill all the religious rules, rites, rituals, all those things that the Jewish people did, then believe the gospel, and then you could become children of the promise or children and sons and daughters of God. I thought about this uh, passage this morning that I'm going to preach and that we're going to dig into, and the urgency in which Paul begins to shift a little bit in his tone in verse 20. He shifts a little to bring a little more urgency into what he's trying to address with the hearers of this letter. I thought of that and thought back to the year 2000. I had the opportunity to go to Russia and teach for about three weeks in a Bible college. That's right when Russia was kind of opening up to people and allowing Christians and Westerners to come and teach and so I was about eight hours away from Moscow by train ride, and I had students from all over Russia who literally left the things they knew, security of homes and family, traveled to this place. Some came from as far away as China to hear about the gospel and to be trained. And the stories they told me Many of them went something like this that connects to our text this morning. There was a group of Russian Orthodox churches in their towns or their villages who would persecute them, who really were more closely connected to the communist government than they were Christ. And, and the people that left those towns that came, we had this opportunity to really help them understand the gospel, to really understand the freedom that, no, you might be persecuted, but don't fall prey to think you have to do these things the Russian Orthodox Church is telling you you have to do. And I thought of, what would that be like if the students I met, I long, sometime later heard that they had began to consider the gospel plus kind of works. And the only way I had to communicate to them was to write a handwritten letter. No text, no email, no phones. I don't even know the full extent to what they were starting to believe. That's what Paul has to do in this letter. To sit down and so systematically he goes at the gospel and the gospel plus faith from a multiple set of angles to make sure nothing is missed. In chapter 3 and 4 of our study, Abraham, 
The patriarch of the Old Testament is referred to over and over again. Now, that would have been a very familiar person to them. And so Paul uses Abraham to connect them back to the gospel, to remind them that they can know for sure that they are children of God without the gospel plus belief. Verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In verse 29 of chapter 3, he says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In other words, you can be certain. You can be certain of your salvation and that you are sons and daughters. And so as we look at verses 21 in chapter 4, and I'm going to tie in verse 1 of chapter 5, I want you to keep that in mind of being the person that Paul might be writing to that's being tempted, challenged constantly with, no, there's, there's something more than just the gospel. By the way, in our human reasoning, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, how could you get such a good gift and have no part in it? And so we easily fall back into that thinking. Chapter 4, verse 21. Before I start, let me just say this. The challenge for me this morning is to connect a lot of names and people and places that you might not be familiar with. So if you don't have a Bible, I would strongly encourage you to either look on your phone or your device or get one in the back because it's going to be much easier to follow along with me this morning if you've got a Bible. We've got them on the back table there. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? But it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. 
In verse 1 of chapter 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning as we look into your word and we know it's truth. And we know you want to speak to us this morning to be able to comprehend the details and the accounts that are listed here that Paul writes about. Help us to do that in such a way that we connect and understand that it's the gospel that sets us free. It's the gospel of Christ that keeps us from living a life of fear and bondage to trying to work our way to acceptance with you. So help us to do that this morning. Help us to do that so that we leave this place as people of God that are certain. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in these many details and things listed in this story, I want you to kind of camp on this thought as I try to break out the details. Paul's really continuing to hit at the gospel and works are incompatible for a person's salvation. The gospel and works are incompatible in a person's salvation. Paul uses slavery and freedom in these verses as the comparison between the gospel and a gospel plus or works-based faith. He uses slavery as an image to point to the outcome of somebody who tries to live in works. Somebody in these passages who are trying to live by all the rules and regulations of the Jewish faith. And he says that makes you a slave. And then he uses freedom to emphasize the grace and mercy that is found in the gospel through Christ. Which allows a person to worship, love and serve God without fear. It frees us because we are forgiven. But the gospel plus seems right, doesn't it? I mean, there has to be something we need to do to be acceptable to God. There has to be, in our humanness, a way to do something so God is more pleased with me. Because all of life is lived opposite that. Nothing in our everyday experience compares to the gospel. I remember in 1986, after I became a Christian and repented and gave my life to Christ, it was, it was just a week into my faith that I found myself wanting to give up. I, I remember having this conversation with God, I, I can't do this. I'm still thinking the thoughts I had before I was a Christian. I still use the words I used before I said, I can't do this. And I started to slide into this gospel plus mindset myself. And so Paul understands that and then makes matters worse that there's a group of teachers constantly, constantly going after the Galatians, <clears throat> excuse me, trying to make them believe it. So the pattern I'm going to follow with you this morning is this. A question, a story, a comparison, and a conclusion. A question, a story, a comparison, and a conclusion. Let's start with the question. Verse 21, Paul begins by saying, You know the law. You know what it says. 
do you really want to try and count on the law to make you acceptable to God? You understand what it teaches. Don't, don't you understand that if that's the path you choose, what it requires? And so he's trying to get their attention here, trying to wake them up a little bit, if you will. Don't, don't you remember you can't keep the law perfectly? You can't do it. And when you try, you get worn out and tired. I was trying to think of an example to, to compare what it means to live under the law and, and fall into that mindset versus truly understanding the gospel. And I came up with this illustration. Imagine with me for a moment that somebody came to you and said, I'm going to give you a house, any house you desire, any place you want, with every amenity in it that you desire. You choose it. You get to pick. It can be as many acres as you want. It can be in the mountains. It could be on the ocean. It could be in Ashland. Well, maybe when I give you a couple cars, the cars that you desire. Ladies inside, you get the kitchen of your dreams fully decked out. You get the media room guys that you desire. I mean, just think for a minute what it could look like. And so you're, you're given this house. And then as a part of the deal, you're told you, you get to keep this house as long as it's kept perfectly. And that means no dust bunnies behind the dryer or the refrigerator. It means the white glove test across the top of the TV can have no dust. The lawn has to be mowed to the perfect height. Cars have to be waxed and take care of perfectly. The outside landscaping can't be any leaves in the yard. No crumbs in the kitchen. I mean, think about it. Because as soon as that happens, you can lose the house. And so for the first couple days, you would think this is a dream, right? But within the first month, you would be a slave to trying to keep this house. You would be in fear constantly that the person who gave you the house would come in and say, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You see, when our faith is based on a system of works, it's like that. We, we start thinking, if I, if, if I don't pray enough, or if I don't memorize enough Bible verses, or if I miss church, I, I, I could be out. And that's what the Galatians were battling this question, don't you understand what it means? So then we'll jump to the story in verse 22 and 23. Follow along with me. So Paul takes this Old Testament narrative that the Jewish people would be very familiar with. Maybe not us quite as much. Some of you maybe. But he uses this to, to point out the difference and the freedom and slavery in the two type of belief systems he says, verse 22, it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. 
We have to go back all the way to Genesis. And so uh, I'm not going to preach four passages or four chapters of Genesis, but I'm going to give you an overview. All the way back into Genesis, God tells Abraham to leave where he lives, leave his people, leave his possessions, and go to a place God will tell him later. Go. Use Trust me, have faith in me, and go. And Abraham, if in doing so, I will make you the father of many nations and people. He tells him at one point to go outside and look at the stars in the heaven. Can you count the stars in the heaven? Obviously you couldn't. He says, I will make your descendants more than the stars of heaven. There'll be great kings, there'll be great nations, and all people will be blessed through you. God's desire, all the way back into Genesis, and if you trace it through Revelation, this phrase shows up that I will be your God and you will be my people. Look it up sometime. That I will be your God and you will be my people. That's God's desire. And he says, I will use you, Abraham, to bring this promise to fulfillment. So here's where the story gets connected from these passages here. Abraham and his wife Sarah are older, in their 80s, and they still don't have children. Well, how can it be that I'll be the father of many nations? I have no children. And during that time, a woman who had no children was looked down on in society. And so Abraham and Sarah had slaves, people that worked for them in their house. And Sarah says to Abraham, why don't you get the slave girl, Hagar, and have a child? Then, then we can be Fulfilling the promise that God made. You see, in their mind, it seemed like a very logical thing to do, wouldn't it? And so that's what happens. And Hagar, the slave girl, bears a child named Ishmael to Abraham and Hagar. He's an illegitimate son. He has no rights to the family and no inheritance. And so God visits Abraham again and says, I, I told you, you'll be the father of many nations. You'll be, have more descendants than any. And so he's a hundred years old now. And God says, I'll fulfill this. I'll fulfill this promise. And Sarah laughs and says, how could that be? I'm way too old to have children. He says, is anything impossible with God? And so... At 100 years old, Sarah becomes pregnant. And they have a child named Isaac. And Isaac becomes the rightful heir. The legitimate son. So Ishmael, born in a normal way, if you will. Abraham and Sarah did what they thought was right in their own eyes, to provide for the promises God had made and thought that was the solution to their problem. 
but they must wait for something only God can do. Here's the comparison. We have the question, the story, now the comparison. And here's where I really need you to stick with me. Okay, it gets a little messy. There's lots of words, lots of places, lots of names. Paul says that in order to understand what he's going to say, he's going to use an allegory to illustrate what he's been trying to get at. Okay? It might be kind of confusing to you because all the pieces don't connect quite right. Maybe like when Ronnie tries to use a sports illustration on Sunday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Just not, yeah. I'm going to pay for that, aren't I? (laughs) So stick with me. Verses, uh, Verses 24 through 28. Now this may be Um, excuse me, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai bearing children of slavery. She's Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, the place where the Ten Commandments were given. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, the physical place, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. And then he goes on to use a passage out of Isaiah connecting back to when they were in captivity. Let me take a minute and see if we can help break this apart so you can make the connection. The contrast of the story here is to point to the difference between faith and works. Taking a story they're very familiar with and saying this group connects more to this gospel plus philosophy. This group, this faith alone, connects to the other side. Look at the contrast. Hagar, a slave, you remember? She's a slave girl. She represents the law and the Judaizers who are promoting a gospel plus approach. Sarah is free. She represents God's gospel promise. You've got Ishmael who is born into slavery because she's born of a slave girl and he is born by human effort. Isaac born into the family of Abraham by God's intervention. You have Ishmael born a slave with no family connection. Isaac born an heir being a true son. Jerusalem Speaking of the place physically is the place where all the law requirements must be carried out on the temple mount. The new Jerusalem is the church, Christ fulfilling the law. You've got persecution. You have Ishmael who persecuted Isaac because he would not inherit because he was an illegitimate child. You have the persecuted Galatians who are being Persecuted because of their faith. You have two covenants that are listed here. You have the Abrahamic covenant, which was a set of unconditional promises made to God or made by God to Abraham and his descendants. It represents the promises of God that fulfills the gospel and freedom that we now enjoy to be called sons and daughters. 
Because it's a promise that only God can carry out. We can be sure that we would be accepted or justified by God. You've got the Mosaic Covenant, the other side, who's being represented by Hagar. The place where the laws were given. All the laws and all the rituals and all the religious activities that a person must keep perfectly before a holy God. I want us to think about the gospel connection between these two groups, the Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac. Like Abraham and Sarah, we attempt to take matters into our own hands when it comes to salvation. We we want to work it out on our own. There's got to be a way for us to do something. Abraham and Sarah had a disconnect when God's promise didn't match their human timetable or understanding. And we face the same thing, don't we? Can I really trust what God says? The promise to Abraham by God, many people, many nations, many children, was bigger than Abraham could understand. And the gospel promised to us that every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be represented in heaven is bigger than we can understand. The gospel, God's promise that he will be our God and that we would be his people only happens by God's actions. And so throughout scripture, God continues to try and reveal that to us. Gives us the new covenant that we find First, in Jeremiah 31, says he'll fulfill his promise that he will forgive his people's sin and remember it no more. The gospel, Christ the true child, the legitimate son of God who takes away the sin of the world, who fulfills every piece of prophecy that God had promised. The gospel, the Christ born by God's intervention, who opens the way to direct access to God. The gospel, the Jerusalem above, the the church populated by those who by faith alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, are sons and daughters. Paul wants desperately to make sure these people understand the difference in the two ways they're going to approach trying to be accepted by God. And then we have a conclusion, verses 29 through chapter 5, verse 1. Paul reminds them, he wants them to stand firm. You are not children of slavery, but are free. You are not, but are. Children of freedom. Folks, this morning, Christians, we are not children of slavery. We are children who are born of freedom. In other words, we who are in Christ by faith alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone, are now sure of our salvation. We are now sure we are sons and daughters. And let me use this phrase. It's a not I hope so, it's a I know so faith. And for many here this morning, you have a hard time moving from a I hope so to a I know so faith. 
And when you start to live in a I hope so faith, your human nature kicks in and you start to try and work it out like Abraham and Sarah did with Hagar. Make sense? I told you there's a lot of stuff moving around in this passage. When you begin to live in a gospel plus faith, you, you begin to be enslaved. You begin to focus on your ability to deal with your sin. And folks, that produces bondage. A bondage that you're going to try to keep something that you couldn't earn to begin with. And you become worn out and you become fearful and you live in an uncertainty. Gospel plus adds works which brings slavery. It produces fear. It produces bondage. And it produces a never-ending working in your life. Adding to the gospel requires you to constantly do something to earn God's acceptance. I mean, is there any peace in that? Is there any rest in that? Is there any security in that? Or I would say it brings fearful living more likely. The gospel offer of freedom produces peace and joy and certainty with God. God becomes the object of your worship and your heart delights in pleasing him because you know you are forgiven. Not because you're trying to gain acceptance. So Paul wants them to have full assurance of their sonship and daughtership through the gospel. Not to question it, not to wonder, but to live in certainty. Don't let anyone lead you astray. So that's why Paul has this sense of urgency as he writes He's concerned, really concerned, that they're going to fall back into this works plus, gospel plus. So what are the takeaways for us this morning? What are the, what are the things that you and I need to take away from this passage? I have just two. The first one is found in verse 31. Where Paul says, you are children of God. You know, if I was to ask you this morning about your identity, your spiritual identity, how might you answer me? Over the years, I've noticed that when I meet someone or interact with somebody and we start talking about things of faith, or start talking about their identity, their identity is more connected to a church they either attend now or once attended than it is to Christ. The answer goes something like this. So, hey, tell me about your your faith life. Tell me your story. It's like, I grew up in such and such church. I attended Sunday school since I was just a little kid. I went to youth group or I served on the mission field with the church one time. I sing in the worship team. Their their connection and their identity is more about a church than I hear my identity is in Christ and I'm a son or I'm a daughter. There's a disconnect, right? And, And so Paul wants to make sure the Galatians, and I want to make sure this morning 
you think about your identity in Christ. You do know that when you stand before the Lord one day after you take your final breath, one of the questions isn't which church did you attend and how often. Won't really count. I mean, is our identity rooted and grounded in Christ? Can you confidently say your identity this morning is in Christ? And without a single doubt in your mind, you know you're a son or a daughter and can say it without hesitation. That's the question. If you can't say that for certain, chances are you've drifted into or are living in some form of a gospel plus faith. See, the gospel frees us to worship out of a heart that celebrates God's love for us in Christ. It's a heart driven then to worship him and love him out of appreciation for what he has done, not what I think I need to do. If you're a note taker, write down this verse that proves this point. We can be sure of our salvation as found in John chapter 1. Verse 11 through 13, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born by God. Do you see any piece in that statement that says, if you do something? It's completely God's action. And that brings rest. That changes the way we worship. Second takeaway from this verse are these verses this morning as found in 5.1. And it is, are you actively or passively drifting into a gospel plus faith? Now you'll probably answer quickly, nope, not me. Not me, but I might suggest that you might be this morning. Are you looking to do things to make sure of your salvation? What are, what are the things that you do in your own life, maybe consciously or unconsciously, to make you feel closer to God? What things or ways are you attempted to add to the gospel? Do you seek some kind of an emotional experience in your faith to make sure you feel like you're in God's good graces? Are there practices you try to keep to make you feel like God is more pleased with you? Are, are there things that would cause you to fear or have doubt in your faith and doubt about God that he might not be accepting you if you don't do this thing? Are there things you do to try and get God's blessing in your life? Do you struggle having assurance of God's acceptance of you by Christ alone and find yourself working in some sort of performance-based faith? Folks, it can happen by simply serving in the church sometimes. Here's where some of you might think, wait a minute, those things aren't necessarily bad. You're right. 
And Paul was trying to get at more of the motivation of a person's heart than the actions of doing it. So yes, there are things we should do because we are believers and followers of Christ. But is the motivation in our heart proper? See, anything that compromises or adds to the sufficiency of Christ alone for acceptance by God is the gospel plus and has to be repented of. We have to deal with it. And Paul's saying, look, the gospel brings freedom. Freedom motivates a person to have a transformed heart so that they can live with the passions and priorities of Christ. Freedom seeks transformation because of our love for God, not our fear of God. Freedom allows you to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll get into in the next chapter. But think about it. When you live in the gospel alone, you experience love, joy, peace, patience. Right? The good things of our faith, not something that comes from a works that brings slavery because that brings fear, apprehension, and uncertainty. People begin working to earn favor with God, and that becomes endless and brings great fatigue. They're working to either keep favor with God or hope to earn favor with God, and that brings fear, thinking I've never done enough. And I always hear the I hope so from those people. Working to get God's blessing causes you to try and manipulate God, doesn't it? If I do this, God might bless me. If I, if I hit all seven days reading my Bible, God's going to bless me. Or working to avoid God's chastisement causes you to forget about God's grace and mercy. Being yoked to the law means an endless striving. An endless hoping that you'll measure up one day. I want to in this morning by reminding you what Jesus said. This is the exact same thing that Jesus said in the verses we're going to talk about as I close this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. The crowds are following Jesus. The religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, the legalists, are heaping and pushing the laws on the people. And Jesus says this. Listen. Listen what Jesus says about this works and slavery and freedom and the gospel. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Did you catch what Paul had wrote in chapter 5, verse 1? Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What do you want to be yoked to this morning?
You want to be yoked to a set of rules and regulations and be bound by it, I hope so, all of your life, or to be yoked to the Christ who says, you are my sons and my daughters if you believe in me. Yoke yourself to me. Is it the Jesus or the law for you this morning? Is your burden heavy? Do you fear or rest in your relationship with God? Do you have rest for your soul? That's what it comes down to, doesn't it? Do you have rest for your soul? Let's pray. Thank you for your word this morning, O oh God. Thank you for its teaching and its truth. And in the times that we discover or come across names or places we don't at first understand, you give them to us to connect and offer to us and remind us that there are really only two approaches to being accepted by you. One, we try to work our way, which brings fear and bondage and uncertainty. And uncertainty. And the other is the gospel and the gospel alone that trusts and believes that you, the sinless Christ, became man, lived, died, and rose again so that we now have free access to the Father, and we can know for sure we are sons and daughters. Therefore, I pray for all of us this morning, self-included, that we would not fall back into a yoke of slavery. In Christ's name we pray, amen.